0: Welcome to Meadowbrook Church, Loving Jesus by Loving People. For more information about who we are, find us online at All Alright, grab your Bibles and meet me in Galatians chapter 2. Galatians 2, if you need a Bible, there's a Bible on the pew in front of you. It's page 1168 in that Bible. And we are getting close to the end. We got a couple more weeks after this week of our series that we've called Authentic Becoming Who We Really Are and talking about who does God say that we are and how do we live out of that kind of God-given, Christ-centered identity? How does that drive our lives? Uh, and how do we know the truth and walk in that truth in the way that we live our lives? God has created us for purpose. So, how can we live out of that? And how do we know what that is? So, we've gone through a number of weeks in different things. And when we don't live authentically, when we uh, understand that we are sinners and we are broken and we are hurting and we are all uh, carrying different levels and degrees of sin and pain and shame, uh, we put on what Christian psychologists have called the false self. And this is the person that we put on in order. Order to get by in life. It's universal, and it's even understandable, but it's not a good thing. And so because we have sin, because we have hurt, because we have pain, because we have shame, uh, we put on somebody to get by in life. And this is the person that we project to the world. This is the person that we would like to be seen as by everybody else, because if we can put these walls up and put this person out there, then maybe people won't see that sin and that shame and that pain. And so the false self is who we project to the world. Uh, The false self is very defensive. The false self does not like to be pointed out for what it is. Uh, Some of you, as we've been going through this, saying like, oh, the Lord's bringing up a lot of stuff as we go through this. And that is part of why we wanted to do this, was just start to acknowledge some of these things and be aware of some of these things, because we want to be able to let these walls down and live out more authentically, to live out the way we were supposed to live. And so we've come at this a few different ways. One of the ways was we spent a few weeks talking about uh, just what does the Bible say about some things about our identity? Who are we in Christ? And what is the truth? Because we're going to confront the false self with the truth of God's Word. We spent the last couple of weeks talking about uh, things like how our sin and our temptations can can fuel this kind of false self and, and desires within us that we are looking for fulfillment in the wrong ways, and we've gone at it that way. Today, as we talk about the false self, we're going to talk about it from this point of view. The false self needs to die. Woo-hoo. <laughs> we're talk, going to talk about crucifying, killing the false self. And you maybe have heard sermons over the years, Uh, along the lines of death to self. That's a bit of a Christianese phrase. Death to self. A Christianese phrase of a very biblical idea, which is that if we are going to follow after Jesus, we are laying our lives down to follow after him. Perhaps not literally. We have brothers and sisters around the world who may literally lay their lives down. They will be martyrs for the gospel. That might not be our problem so much in North America, but we are all called to lay ourselves down for the sake of this gospel. We are all called to give our lives in service of the Lord and in service of this gospel, because if Jesus is Lord of your life, that means you're not the Lord of your life anymore. It means you are giving up those rights, and you are saying, Jesus, you're the boss now. You're in charge now, and I give my life in service of you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German theologian in the mid-20th century, and he said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die doesn't raise up a lot of hallelujahs and amens and praise the Lord. We're not singing a song and dancing a dance over a statement like that. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. That to follow after Jesus is to take up your own cross. And as Jesus laid down his life and sacrificed things in order to do the will of the Father, if we are going to walk after God, it will require us to lay our lives down. It will require us to sacrifice things. It will require us to say, you know what, this isn't about me. And this life is not about me. My life is in service of the king. He is Lord. I am not. And so I'm going to live my life in service of his lordship and with that understanding. So many years ago, long before I met my wife, Sarah, uh, I was in Bible college. I was working at a church up in Niagara, and I met a beautiful young woman named Heather. And we started dating, we very quickly fell in love, and as things progressed, we began to plan our lives together. We saw marriage as where this was going. And I would never met anyone like her. I was just, I was head over heels in love, smitten like I'd never been smitten, smoten, smoted. That doesn't sound right. Uh, you get the idea. I was just, I was gone. I had never, I'd been in relationships before. I'd never experienced anything like this. And she was just this sweet, godly Christian girl. Her dad was a pastor. I was in Bible college. She was heading to Bible college. We could see where our lives were going to be in ministry together. And we will serve the Lord together. And we will pastor together. And we will go on the mission field together. And I was so happy and so joyful. And it was just everything I'd been praying for in a relationship and everything I was hoping for in a spouse. And my parents loved her and her parents loved me, and, and friends who we trusted were all speaking into this relationship, saying, go for it, this is awesome. And so we were so excited. And then out of the blue, it all kind of fell apart, and we broke up, and I was just devastated. I, it just sort of came out of nowhere. And one day we were talking about marriage, and a couple days later we were broken up. And I tried really hard to resurrect the relationship. I tried really hard to, to make it because I was so sure that this was it. I was so sure that this was what I was waiting for. But no matter what I did or how I tried, the door would just not open again. And so, as the Pentecostals would say, I put it on the altar. And by that, it means like Abraham and Isaac. Like you, you take that thing, you take that dream or that desire or that plan, and you... you Kill it essentially, and, and you just say, Lord, I'm leaving it here for you. And if it never happens again, then I, I will find a way to deal with that. Uh, if you want to give it back to me, then you can give it back. But I, I put that on the altar, I put that to death essentially, I lay that down. Uh, And whatever you want to do, you can do, because you are Lord, and I am not, and I am exhausting myself trying to kick open doors that just aren't opening, so I will just leave that with you. And as I prayed that, I was pretty sure he was going to give her back to me. I was pretty sure that that's how. So it wasn't quite totally with a noble and pure heart. But to be able to say, you know what, I, I leave this to you, Lord. I lay it down, and I leave it in your hands. I trust you enough to do that. And then ultimately, actually even doing that with marriage itself, of going, you know what? I want to get married. You know I want to get married, but... Celibacy is celebrated in the Bible, and and if that is what you want for me, then I will do that. If you know that that's what's best for me, then that is what I will do. And I, I say it very easily now. This is after this is months of wrestling and prayer and struggling, but ultimately saying, okay, I put that relationship on the altar. I put marriage itself on the altar. And if you don't ever want me to do either of those things, then I won't because you're Lord and you're in charge, and your life is is or my life is here in service of you and in service of what's best for you. If you know there's a better way, then I will trust you with that. And laying those things down and, and being single for many years after that, many years of ministry being single, and, and wrestling my way to actually finding a place of peace in all of that, of saying, okay, I, I have truly let that relationship go. I have truly let marriage go. And if God wants me single and celibate the rest of my life, I will embrace that and be okay with that. Uh, Because when Christ bids a man, he bids him come and die. And so there are parts of my life in my false self, there are parts of my life that are sinful, and sin in my life needs to die. And there are attitudes that are bad, and those attitudes need to die. And there are dreams and desires that may not even in themselves be bad things, but they're not what God wants for me. And those things need to die. Because when we follow after Jesus, we're picking up our own cross, and we're following after him. And that means there are things in us that need to go. There are things in us that need to die. So let's take a look at our text today. We're in Galatians chapter 2, and we're starting in verse 19. So right at the bottom of the chapter there, page 1168 in the Pew Bible. Paul is writing to the church in Galatia, and he says, For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So there's a lot of themes in the book of Galatians, and one of the big ones is the law and this idea of the law and grace. And so when the Bible talks about the law in the New Testament, uh, it's talking about when God met Moses at Sinai, the commandments that he gave him there. Written in stone tablets, there was a list given of commandments for God's people, and the the heart of the commandment was this is what God expects of you. If you want to live a perfect life, these are the rules. And to live this way is to please God, and when we don't live that way, we call that sin, and sin displeases God. So here is the standard, and the bar is really high. And we often talk about the Ten Commandments, but there was actually 613 commandments given. I have not counted them, but smart people have that I trust. So there are 613 laws, rules, statutes, precepts, uh, big things, little things, but there's 613 parts of God's law. And the law came to humanity and said, this is what God expects of you. And none of us can live up to it. Perfectly, And if you want to feel real good about yourself, he said sarcastically, Google 613 laws. Google that phrase. And, you websites will come up that list all of God's laws. One is numbered 1 to 613. And you will see very quickly as you start to read them, you'll go, well, I didn't kill anybody today and I didn't rob a bank, but I have broken almost all of the other ones. I have fallen short dramatically. I cannot live up. Even if I did my best, I wouldn't be able to fully live up to this. And Paul would say in his writings, that's actually part of the point of the law. It's not to say, here's the standard, and, and just to say, you know, so live better at it and work harder and you'll get there. He says, no, through the law, we become conscious of our sin." So the law is here is God's perfect standard and you will see very quickly all the ways that you fall short of it. You will realize as you look at that list, I don't think I could ever work hard enough to live this perfectly. And Paul says that's the point. It's not there just to hammer you on your sin. It does do that. But it's there to highlight for you that you are a sinner. You can't save yourself. So you need a savior. You need help. You cannot do this on your own. So the law is there to do this for us. And what's happening in the Church of Galatia is that they had understood that at one point, and they had said, okay, so uh, we we can't live up to this on our own. We need a Savior. And they had grabbed a hold of Jesus, and they'd understood, oh, there's grace available. There is forgiveness available. Jesus died for us. This is amazing. And they had embraced that gospel of grace, and they were rejoicing in the gospel of grace. But over time, and this there is something about a lot of us that this just seems to be the case. After receiving all that grace and free forgiveness, they started to fall back into the rules again. And I'm right with God because of the rules, and you're good or not based on how well you do with the rules. The the, the law had sort of come back into this place. And Paul famously says to the church, you foolish Galatians, what has happened to you? You grabbed a hold of grace, and you were walking in grace, and now you're falling back into this rule-based living. Like, you, you have lost that sense of grace. And so Paul is talking about this all throughout this book and this idea of the law. And in verse 19 of our text, he says, For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. So the law comes, and the law says you are a sinner. The law says you have violated God's word. You have disobeyed his commandments. You have fallen short of his standard. You have all like sheep gone astray. Each of you has turned to your own way. And the problem when we do that with God is, is that God is the source of all life. He is the only source of life. And when we say to God, I'm going my own way, we've cut ourselves off from the source of all life. And when you cut yourself off from the source of all life, all that is left for you is death. And that's why the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Death is all that's left. And so the law had come, and it tells us that we're sinners. The law judges us and condemns us as sinners. The law ultimately points to our death. So through the law, I I die. Through the law, this judgment of God has come. But through the law also, he says, I died to the law so that I could live for God. Because he says it this way in verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So the law beats us up a bit, and it's kind of supposed to do that, but that's not the end of what God is up to. He's not just there to point out our sin. So the law judges us, condemns us to death, but then Paul says, but I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. And so when Jesus died on that cross, the death that we deserved happened there as well. So Paul says, when Jesus died, God was pleased to look at that and say, I died too for my sins. My old sinful self is dead. Everything that I've done is dead. In Colossians, he says he took it. He nailed our sin to that cross. And so our old sinful self died with Jesus. The old hymn says, Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. The news is getting better as we go through this. So where I needed to die for my sin... Paul says, I died with Jesus. God was pleased to look at the death of Jesus and say, Chris's death is covered. That's that's good. And for anyone who has accepted Jesus, that is truth for them. And so we participate in the death of Christ in that way. So the truth of God's word is, your old self is dead. right? Your old sinful self died on that cross with Jesus. That's just the truth of God's word. The problem is, Is that even if I can intellectually acknowledge that and even if I can receive that as God's truth I know there's a lot of old Chris hanging around in this old body, right? Can you relate? I know there's still sin that has hung on. I know that there's still attitudes. There's still behaviors I know there's there's a lot of that old stuff still there. So I mean the Bible says my old stuff died on the cross and yet the reality is i see some of that old stuff still here i had a seminary prof uh, and he was paraphrasing martin luther the great reformer but he paraphrased martin luther this way the old man has died but the corpse still twitches and there's something of the imagery of that that i really like that yeah the truth of the matter is uh, the old sinful self died and yet there i still do see some of that here and so there's a tension uh, and theologians sometimes talk about, for those of us who follow Jesus, there is this tension between the already and the not yet. There's a tension between the already. There, are, there is a truth that has already been fulfilled, but that at the same time is not yet fully fulfilled yet. So the Bible talks about this crucifixion, again, later in the book of Galatians 5.24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions, with its passions and desires. They ha- it, it's done already. It's spoken of in the, the past tense. Your passions and desires of your flesh have been crucified. Now, we won't ask for a show of hands of anyone who still feels like they might have some passions and desires going on still ongoing. So the Bible talks about crucifixion of the flesh, of the old self, the sinful self, in the past tense, but also talks about it in the present tense. Colossians 3.5 says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. That is your old self, your sinful self, your false self. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry, any, that's not an exclusive list, but just sin in general. So we're told we died already, but we're also told keep putting to death these things within you. And so the Bible acknowledges this tension between the already and the not yet. The Bible talks about our salvation in three different tenses. It says that we were saved. It says that we are being saved, and it says that we will be saved. So we were saved the day we said yes to Jesus. The day we received his forgiveness and said, Lord, I'm all in with you, and I'm following after you, we got saved that day. Some of us can remember the time, the place, the date that that happened. We were saved. We were right with God. From that point on, if you got hit by a truck and stood before him, you'd be good. Your sins are washed away. You are right in his eyes. Your standing is right. So we were saved. That was the day that our souls locked in. We are are on the right path. We are good. And yet the Bible also says we are being saved. There's this work in progress happening where I understand that my sins are forgiven, but they haven't disappeared yet. I understand that the old self has died, but that's not fully realized yet. So I'm also in this process of being saved where I am living out more and more that reality. The reality that began the day I said yes to Jesus is more and more becoming how I live my life. And then we will be saved in the future, either when Jesus returns or when we go to be with him, we will be fully, in every way, completely saved, body, soul, and spirit, renewed and restored in every way, the way we were originally supposed to be. So it happens in these three kind of tenses. We were saved, we are being saved, we will be saved. And we are, what we are wanting to do as followers of Jesus is live out the reality of what started more and more. And in that same way, we were crucified, our old self died with Jesus, and yet we are also called to continually put to death, continually crucify ourselves and live out of that reality more and more. Does that make sense? Are you with me? I'm getting a lot of blank stares right now. Not at me once in a while, okay? So I know it's uh, you're tracking with me here. I know this is a little bit of some heady stuff. So, we are crucified, that's the truth. Our old self has died. And yet, there is also a continual crucifixion process going on, that we are to put to death the sinful side. Our standing with God is set, and we want to live out that reality more and more. Just like a couple weeks ago, we talked about the fact that the Bible calls us holy ones. That's the truth of what the Bible calls us. A lot of us don't feel overly holy, but we're not going to live out of our sinfulness. We want to say, okay, God has called us holy. Let's live out of that. Let's live towards that as our goal. Let's let that be what identifies us and what makes us his. As Paul goes through the rest of the verse, verse 20, uh, the second part, he says, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So even as I understand, my old self died with Jesus and I'm still in this process. I'm a work in progress, of course, but the life I do live in this body, broken and struggling with sin as it might be, I'm living a life by faith in the Son of God. My life is driven by Christ in me and living towards his lordship, the fact that he is Lord, as we said at the beginning. And so the old self died, the new self is here, we are wanting to live into that reality more and more, but we're living it out of a place that declares Jesus is Lord of my life. And again, if Jesus is Lord, I hate to break it to you, you are not Lord anymore. Because there can only be one Lord of your life. And so to bow our knee to Jesus is to say, I'm not in charge anymore. I'm not the master anymore. I'm not doing things my own way anymore. I'm not feeding my own needs or selfishness anymore. To serve Jesus is to say, I serve at the pleasure of the King. That he's in charge. That he is the one that we are to live out our lives towards there's a story in luke chapter 17 where jesus tells a parable and he says you know if any of you had a servant who worked for you and the servant had just done a long day in the fields and came in the master doesn't say oh you look tired come on and sit down and have some dinner let me serve you because the servant's job is to serve the master and so if that servant came in after a long day in the fields the master would say make me dinner right because i'm the master And Jesus says this is what it's like with us in Jesus our attitude should never be well What do I get out of this? What's in this for me? Jesus actually uses the term that our attitude should be I am an unworthy servant I'm just doing my duty because that's what a servant does if Jesus did everything for us Then we would be the master and he would be the servant But if he is Lord, if he is master, then our lives are given in service of him. And we lay down our lives to that purpose. We say there is sin in my life that needs to go because Jesus tells me not to sin. There are attitudes and things within me that need to change because Jesus calls me to this life of purity. And there are dreams and plans that I have in my life that might not actually be good for me. And so I submit all of my plans, everything I want to do, everything I'm hoping for gets put on that altar. To say, Lord, if that's a good and godly thing, you're going to give it back to me. And if it's not, it needs to die. It needs to go away. Everything that's not good and godly in my life needs to disappear. And so James puts it this way. In James chapter 3, he says, we shouldn't even be saying, oh, next week I'm going to go to this place or I'm going to pursue this opportunity. He says, the most we should ever say is, if the Lord wills it, I will go there next week. If the Lord wills it. I will pursue this opportunity. He says, anything more than that is arrogant boasting. And I go, man, I have arrogantly boasted a lot in my life by just doing what I thought I wanted to do. And so to serve at the pleasure of the king is to say, I am not my own. I was bought at a price, and even though I've been set free from sin, I've been set free from sin to become a slave to righteousness. Like I have transferred my allegiance from one master to another, and as I follow after Jesus, it is entirely a life driven by trying to say, Lord, what do you want to do here? Where do you want me to go here? And at various times in my life have had those kind of wrestling conversations with God where, like, I love preaching more than anything. I love being in ministry. We love Essex County. I could die here easily uh, in a long, long time. I'm not, I'm not breaking bad news to you guys. But I, I re- we really feel that way. And yet, if Jesus is really Lord, we have had those conversations like, well, Lord, if you ever wanted me to lay this aside, you're the king and I'm not. If you want us to move to Africa and be missionaries, you're the king. Right? I'm, I'm not. I'm not my own. I was bought as a, at a price. And if Christ is Lord, it means I'm not. And so we lay these things on the altar. We, we lay our rights down. We lay our plans down. We lay our self down. Death to self is to say, I am willing to put that down. In service of you and we can do that because it's uh, just the attitude that says i am submitting to you as king jesus says in luke chapter 9 23 if anyone would come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me That to follow after Jesus is not just to say I'll take all the grace. Thank you I'll take all the forgiveness. I'll take all the love all the blessing all the financial things you have for me I'll take the healing and the redemption and the restoration. It is all of those things, but it's also to say it's a life of sacrifice It's a life of saying the king comes first Because in the kingdom any kingdom earthly or otherwise the king's needs are met first the king's desires are are met first. And so to follow after Jesus is not just all the good stuff. It is that, but it's also I'm picking up a cross and I'm following after you. I'm picking the path of self-denial. I'm picking the path of sacrifice. And as Jesus was willing to lay down his life in service of the Father in heaven, that is our call as well. And even when Jesus was in the garden, and he seems to be really legitimately wrestling in the garden right before his death. He's calling out to God, and it's as close as we get to Jesus in, in doubt. And maybe he's, he's full of doubt. It's not totally clear. But one thing that we know for sure from the text is Jesus is in that moment saying, Father, if there is any way, I don't have to do this. If there is any way, I don't have to go to the cross. If there is any other way that this can happen, but even so, not my will, your will be done. And To live our lives in such a way that it's not about what I get. It's not about my blessings It's not about what's best for me It's about how can I lay my life down in service of the king? How can I lay my life down in service of others? What can I do in order to to glorify Jesus in this way and to lay down our sin? Of course because our sin is not good for us It's bad to lay down our selfishness to lay down our attitudes to lay down all these things even to lay down our our dreams our plans Like, it's not that God is there and saying, you know, give me that plan that you love and are invested in because what God really wants to do is leave you broken and disappointed by saying, no, you can't do that. Right? Like, that's not the God we serve. And that's how Paul ends this verse. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. That we can actually trust this God with our dreams. We can actually trust him with the laying down of our lives we can put things on the altar because he loves us and he gave himself for us that at the cross there is nothing more that he can do there's like what else could you expect of anyone to show you hey i'm on your side Hey, I'm working for your good. Hey, I love you and I'm rooting for you and I'm here to help you and I'm here to save you. That There's nothing more he can do than what he's already done at the cross to prove to us that he loves us and he's on our side. He has proven it already, undeniably. And so for that God, I can look to him and say, oh, it might hurt to lay this thing down, but I can trust you completely because you have already demonstrated how much you love me. You've already demonstrated that you're on my side. You've already demonstrated that you're working for my good. I can trust you with everything. I can lay it all down on the altar for you. I can do that because you loved me and because you gave yourself for me. Paul wraps up. Verse 21 by saying I don't set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law then Christ died for nothing if we could Make ourselves right with God just by obeying really really well There would have been no need for Jesus to come there would have been no need for a cross But I don't set aside the grace of God Paul says because it's only by grace That we are saved. And we can define grace lots of different ways. And kind of the classic one is the undeserved favor of the Lord. That's kind of the textbook classic definition. Uh, Maybe a bit of a simpler way to look at it for me is that grace is when God does what we can't do. That's grace showing up in our lives. And it shows up in lots of different ways. That when we have to depend on him for the breath in our bodies, when we have to depend on him for the rain on the land that gives us food, when we have to depend on him for even being able to understand him because he reveals himself to us, when we have to depend on him to open up the scriptures to us, when we have to depend on him, of course, for our salvation, that's grace. It's when God does what we cannot do on our own, when we are uh, completely dependent on him. And because of that grace, again, we can trust laying things down. Because here's the thing, death is not ever the end of the story for those who follow Jesus. It's not just about, oh, I have to let that dream die, and that's just the end of it, and, you know, I lost that relationship, and I was just heartbroken over that, and God just left me there in that place. Death is not the end of the story. It's not just about dying for the sake of dying. Anything that needs to die in my life actually needs to die, because it's bad. Right? Whether it's the sin that's killing me or, or affecting my, my life and relationships or whether it's my attitude that's just always pulling me into a funk or whether it's a road I'm going down that's just the wrong direction and it's not a bad thing in itself, but God just knows that's the right way for me. Anything that has to die in myself is something that actually has to die. But even then, that stuff that dies is not the end of it. Because the Bible says in Colossians 2.12, with him, Jesus, you were raised to new life. Because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Resurrection's where the story ends. So even if I let that dream die, it is in the hope that God will either give it back to me or He's gonna raise me up in a better one that He knows better about. That even when I lay down that sin which is addictive and is filling a hole in my life and that I love so much and that it's difficult to crucify and put to death, it's because God's raising me up to better life. Holiness is better, that path is better. That when I lay down my attitude, when I lay down my thoughts, when I lay down what's going on in my heart, the only things that are going to actually die are the bad junk that's in there, and the raising up to life is going to be the best part of what he has for me in this life. Resurrection is better. His way is better. And so can we trust him enough, right? Jesus had to trust the Father enough. Father, not my will. Your will be done. I will go to the cross trusting that you're going to raise me up again, right? There's faith involved. There is sacrifice involved, but we are trusting the one who loved us Who gave himself for us we can trust that God we can trust him because he's good and he's on our side and so the irony is as much as I fight against dying to myself as much as I fight against laying down the things that I like as much as I fight uh, and make excuses for my sin or whatever it is as much as I fight against this death to self process the irony of it is is the more I lay myself down the better my life actually gets The more I lay myself down, the more authentically I can live out of who he's actually called me to be, right? Because I will be more holy. I will be more pure. I will be more Chris than if I try to cling and hold on to everything that I would like to hold on to in my old sinful way. So when we try to hold on to this stuff and control this stuff and work through this stuff by ourselves and keep our stuff, like we're just holding on to the stuff that's actually not very good for us, but to open up our hands And say, you are Lord, I am not. I will trust you with all of it. And trust that even if it hurts to die, because dying hurts, that you are going to raise me up into something better. And be able to to lead me to that place so the irony irony is the more we die to self the more our true selves we actually become the more authentically we can be who he's created us to be few practical things really quick and then we are just about done so here are some things we can do as we process and navigate through this first of all take an excuseless look in the mirror excuseless Uh, I don't think that's a word, but you know what I mean by it an excuseless look in the mirror We've talked about this in this series already is that we all need to be willing and able to have an honest look at where there is sin what am I struggling with? What, is, what are the character things? Uh, how are my words? How are my thoughts? How are my actions? How is my money? Uh, what am I doing in my life? Where is their sin? What do I need to be working on? And without excuse, without qualifiers, I am very, very good at justifying why my sin is not that bad. I make excuses for myself that I would never tolerate from any of you if you came to me and said, I'm struggling with this, right? I am very good at making, well, I may be doing this, but I'm not doing it like so-and-so at least, and and I might struggle with this, but it's not like I killed anybody, And, and I did that, but I was just tired that day. That's not the real me. Like, I'm really good. At making it not as bad as it really is and again to take an excuseless look without qualifiers without excuses without Justification and just to say what's going on in here and just be able to have that conversation with yourself and with the Lord Maybe with someone else that you trust uh, There's a lot of power in being able to clearly name what a problem is and it can be scary to get to that point, but one of the beauties of AA, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, is that you stand there, and it can take a long time to get to this point, but to say, I am an alcoholic, I am powerless against alcohol, and only a higher power can restore me. Like, it can be difficult to get to that point, but there's a tremendous amount of freedom that comes with naming a problem for what it is clearly. And now you go, okay, well now it has a label, it's not hidden in the darkness anymore, we've exposed this thing into the light, we're calling it what it is, and now we can make a plan moving forward. There's a lot of power in that. So to take an excuseless look in the mirror and be honest about where we're at. Uh, moving on, look for help from others because we need it. Sometimes there are things we can do on our own in terms of trying to live rightly. Sometimes we really do need help from somebody else. Again, the power of Alcoholics Anonymous is not just that someone's saying, I'm an alcoholic and I'm powerless. It's that you're in a room with 12 other people who are saying the exact same thing, and some of them are further ahead than you and have some tips to help move you along, and you have accountability, and you have a sponsor, and you have friends who can do this with you. There are certain sins I'm fully convinced that we just cannot beat on our own. As the Bible says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so if I'm so proud that I'm not going to let anyone know what I'm struggling with, then there's no grace there. But if I'm willing to humble myself, again, with somebody that I trust, and say, this is what I'm struggling with, there will be grace there. There will be help. So we want to look for help from others because we need it. We want to remember crucifixion is not easy. And that's a ridiculous understatement. But... Uh, When the Bible uses this language, crucifixion was a long, laborious, painful, dying process. And so it wasn't like a quick, like, off with your head. Like, it was a long, and that's the language that gets used. And putting our sin to death can be a long, painful process. Submitting our lives fully to the Lord can be a long and painful process. And so we want to remember that and just not get discouraged if things aren't happening as quickly as we would like. We want to be able to say, you know what? The call to carry a cross is to persevere, to keep going, to be patient, to understand that, that resurrection is the end of this, and I'm going to just keep... Carrying my cross. I'm going to keep going there. And lastly, we want to replace the bad with something godly, with something good. It's not just about I'm going to stop doing X. It's about what's the, the godly thing that I should be doing instead. So if I'm realizing, you know what, my words are not in a great place. I say a lot of negative stuff, and, and I'm gossipy, and I'm slandering, or whatever. It's not just about I'm going to stop doing that, but it's about what were my words supposed to do in their best and godly sense. And I'm going to start doing that. I'm going to start encouraging. I'm going to start being thankful. I'm going to start praising. I'm going to start uh, building people up. Right. So it's not just about stop this. The bad. It's about what's the good. So whatever your particular sin struggle is, you can ask yourself kind of what's the positive opposite of this thing that I'm struggling with? What is the godly opposite? And I'm going to start doing that so that we don't just have this vacuum of I've stopped doing bad things, but we've actually replaced it with something better. Again, just to use the AA example again, a lot of times when someone is trying to break free from an addiction, a big piece of it is you know what? You need to add a chunk of physical exercise into your life, because your body's going to start going through withdrawal, you'll be craving things, so let's start doing good things in your body, and then your body can start to be healthy and function the way it was supposed to function. So it's not just about stopping, it's about starting. What are the good and godly things that I'm going to do to replace this? Come on up, worship team. We're just about done here. We have an email address, questions at meadowbrook.ca, and we would love to keep the conversation going. If you've got questions about any of this, we could only cover so much in a Sunday morning, but more than happy to keep that conversation going, so please feel free to drop us a line there at questions at meadowbrook.ca. So this is not light and fluffy stuff, uh, dying to self, as we talk about this. But again, when we talk about that, uh, the only things that are actually going to die are the things in us that need to, right? That's all that's actually going to die. Uh, If I give God a dream, and that's a good and godly dream, he will give it back to me. And and if that's what he wants, and that's his will, so I won't actually lose it. If it's not a good dream, then it needs to die, because it's going to take me in the wrong direction of my life. The sin in my life needs to die. I've got attitudes that need to die. I've got words that need to die. I've got thoughts that need to die. Like the things that we're talking about killing, it's just the bad stuff. The good stuff will remain, and even the stuff that dies, he will resurrect into something better. So we're not dying to self just for the sake of dying. We're dying so we can live out of who he has really called us to be, and live better and live healthier by his resurrection power in us. That story I told you about that girl Heather at the beginning, I had to let that dream and plan and desire die. And again, I was sure God was going to give her back to me at first and then over time realizing that wasn't going to happen and then had to let marriage die as an option and and wasn't sure what he wanted to do with that. But to get to the point of saying, I will give it all to you, Lord. I, I trust you because you died for me. You love me. I trust you're working for my good. And so I can put it all in your hands. And I was single for a number of years after that and did kind of get my head around, well, I guess I'll just keep living single until God wants to do something else. And then I was pastoring in Amherstburg and it was our Christmas banquet and this beautiful blonde girl walked into the church. And I was struck with her and we had a conversation. I invited her to dinner very quickly after that. Uh, We were engaged. We were married a few months after that. And that might not be everybody's experience, but this was just mine. And man, the number of times if that old relationship ever comes to mind, my only reaction is, thank you, Jesus, that I did not marry that girl. And she's a wonderful girl, a wonderful girl. It's not about her. It was just about what was best for me and who was the best fit for me. And the the other one was great, but she wasn't the best fit for me. And to look at my wife now and say, oh man, I thought I knew what I wanted, but God knew what I needed. He knew what this ministry life was going to be like he knew the kind of person that was going to work with my personality. And again, that's where we trust him when we lay these things down, because he's smarter than we are. His ways are higher. His paths are higher. His thoughts are higher. And so to be able to say, I'm going to lay it down for you and trust that you will do what's best for me every single time. And I can have hope in you because of that. So that's the God we serve. He is good, he loves you, and he's on your side, and we can trust him with this stuff. And we want to worship that God quickly before we go. So I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, please. The words will be up on the screen,
1: and then we'll close in prayer. You know, as we think about our lives and how we live, it's I hope you're encouraged that we are crucified with Christ, and we can look to our sins with hope because of Jesus, and that should be our hope every day, and that he has died for us, and we're not alone in this journey at all and so we look at sin when we look at the battles of life be encouraged that we are crucified with christ and it's not anything we've done it's because of what he has done for us and that's amazing isn't it and i hope that encourages you today to understand that it's because of jesus we are here today and if you've come here today and you need prayer or encouragement as you journey through life and try to understand what it means to be crucified with christ to live for him and we encourage you to come forward and receive prayer the way people are available after service who are trained and want to come alongside with you and pray with you, we encourage you to come forward after service and do that. They'll be up front. And as people are coming up front, uh, we want to create a place of ministry. If you want to visit and connect, that's fantastic. We ask you to do that in the foyer and down the hallway as well. And also, if you've come here today and there's somebody new to you and you've never met them before, we want you to go and say hi as well. It's just a great way to meet other people. I want to close with with the Word of God as well before I up. Hebrews 12 says this, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. That's amazing, isn't it? Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you endured the cross. I pray this week that we would fix our eyes on you, Jesus, and that you would give us the hope and the strength we need. And and Lord, if we are struggling through sin in our life, there's something that's holding us back for a deeper relationship with you, I pray in Jesus' name that you'd help us You'd help us and you would destroy those things in our life. You'd free us from the chains that hold us back. And Lord, as people receive prayer today, as people go throughout their day, I ask Holy Spirit, you'd come. You'd give wisdom. You'd give peace. you give joy. And thank you for your love. And thank you for the hope that comes in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week, Meadowbrook.